Hello, beautiful souls. It's Julie, and I have something to admit. I really judged a book by its cover today. I really wanted to share this with you too, because when I make mistakes, I want other people to see it so that they can realize within themselves where we all judge and we could all love more. The person that I judged was my podcast guest and he came on and I told him where I had judged and where I was wrong, completely wrong. And where spirit showed me that I was wrong and helped open my eyes to that. And friends, I have to say this turned out to be one of my favorite podcast episodes yet. We ended up going on to have the most beautiful conversation. It's here all in this episode today. While we were talking about life transitions, we do mention one transition that I went through in my lifetime of leaving corporate America to do this work. Friends, one of the stories that I haven't told on this podcast before, but if you have been listening to the beginning, I know you know the details. I was working in corporate America, wanting and dreaming, daydreaming in my office about living a different life and having a different career that I really felt passionate about. And, you know, what I know now, five years later, is this. Spirit can't give you something that you don't know, right? And they won't give you something within your imagery, right? They're not going to show you, make you hear, feel, see something that you're not going to grasp onto. So sometimes they start out with something else that helps it click within your brain. So as I was sitting in that corporate office daydreaming about a different life that I would be passionate about, what spirit would show me over and over and over again is what I thought to be life coaching, right? I knew that life coaching was working one-on-one with people, helping people make those transitions in their life through big life changes. And I knew that I was communicating with the other side, but if you would have asked me then in that office, I would have said, you've got to be kidding. I can't do that. (laughs) My gifts aren't that great. Are you kidding me? I didn't realize that just like a muscle, it was something that I could build and build and build and build. So those of you who have been with me since the beginning know that the transition that I went through was spirit breaking me down. I mean, all the cards of my life came crumbling down at the very same time, allowing me to really look at myself and think, how is it that I want to rebuild? And When I went to rebuild, you know, they say when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And that's exactly what happened. So Spirit ended up putting within my path somebody who called and offered me a part-time job making half of the salary that I was making before. And I thought, that's awesome. Now I can work part-time and, you know, do this work part-time, still have a salary coming in, still help pay my bills, you know, within my family because I contribute, you know, to the monthly, the monthly bills. And at the same time, build up a business for myself with those extra 20 hours a week. 
And at the time, what I thought that was going to be was a life coaching certification program. I'd get my coaching certification and I'd go on to be a life coach. But Spirit had other plans. They had me go to a very, very popular Theosophical Society Fest that happens every year here in Wheaton, Illinois. And people come from all around just to come to this one festival. And Spirit impressed upon my heart, you have to go. You have to be there. You have to do this. This is like, go, 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 go. So I went and I remember the very first person that I talked to and they said, go around and talk to everybody here, but only accept what resonates with you and leave everything else behind. So that's exactly what I did. I went around and I talked to all of these different healers and teachers and one just resonated with me so much. And I told her the story of what had happened in my life that past year and how I had gotten through it. And she said, well, you know why you're here, don't you? You know why we're here together, right? And I said, no. And she said, because I'm supposed to teach you how to do this work. And that started it all. I said, well, when do I sign up? When does class start? And she said, it starts on Monday. And I was in the office. And right from the very first person that I got to work on and volunteer on, Boom, every time I am in somebody's energy field, there is your spirit team, your angels, your guides, your loved ones, and they have messages. It's not me giving you information. It's them bringing through what it is that you need to know. So in the episode today, when we get to that part and you're like, Julie, what are you talking about, about this life coaching? Now you have the backstory to make it all make sense. And hopefully friends, you know, spirit said, tell this story because other people are out there thinking the same things. That spirit is just presenting to you within your own mind what they know that you will grasp onto. Friends, It's not just me that has this gift. It's not just a handful of people in this lifetime. Everyone has gifts. And the most beautiful thing about the last five years is getting to meet healers in every line of work. There are healers making clothes. There are healer artists. There are healer writers. There are healer CEOs, presidents of companies who are consciously working to shift corporate America from the inside. Friends, you do not have to pick up your work and do something different in order to be a healer in the traditional sense that you think about it as woo-woo. When you feel called, that's God leading your heart. What is a healer? A healer is somebody who's here to serve other people. That's everybody. We're all here to serve in different ways. It's just which way your heart feels called. That's it. All right, friends, let's dive into this episode. If you want to support this podcast, you can book a one-on-one emergency session. We have some open. You can take the Angel Communication course, the High Vibration course. Those are offered anytime. Go at your own pace. 
We have a new cohort as well, starting for the Angel Reiki School. So if you feel called to develop your spiritual gifts or really just understand your own energy better, go on over to my website, theangelmedium.com, and you can sign up for any one of those over there. Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome back to the show. We are here with New York Times columnist and best-selling author many times over, Bruce Feiler. And he is here today. We've got so much juicy information to dive into. I'm so excited. So friends, I'm going to throw myself under the bus here and say that this morning when I was researching Bruce, I was looking at his uh, different books that he has. And you have one book, Bruce, about Adam and Eve, a love story between Adam and Eve. And I kind of got nervous at first because I just have been starting to read the one by Glennon Doyle on Audible. Oh, right. It's her, it's her, it's her new book. Uh, Untamed. Her- Untamed, exactly. Yes. So I'm starting to read this and where she talks in the book about being a little girl in CCD and learning about Adam and Eve from an accountant and thinking, hmm, this doesn't add up. This this woman is coming from the rib of a man. And yet this is the only time that this has ever happened in history because all other human beings are born from women. And here we're talking about Eve being this person that you know, creates all sin, which is now here where we live in today, we as females are now responsible for all bad. That this just story, oh God, it like hurts as a female, right? So that has been in my head all weekend. So you booked me a male and you were suddenly worried that I was going to come on and tell you that you were wrong and that the patriarchy should dominate and you were going to cancel this interview. Do I have this correct? Yes. Yes. My egoic mind is still in the way. I just want to know what I'm up against. Oh my God. No, 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 no. So I totally, like my egoic mind, I'm telling this to my listeners because I want us to know that we, we do this as much as we see ourselves as spiritual. We judge a book by its cover sometimes. And I was so wrong because spirit said, jump on YouTube, watch this video. And here you are. And I think the first thing you said was you and your daughters were in the Vatican and your daughter said, I don't see myself in this picture. And it led you on this journey of really understanding that the story was wrong. The story of Adam and Eve was wrong. So I am apologizing to you. I am so, so sorry that I judged a book by its cover. I want you to describe this because you went all around the world really looking at this story and researching this story. And I do want to dive into life transitions after this because I know you have a phenomenal new book, but help us understand Adam and Eve. So I guess you can't really talk about Adam and Eve without going back to the beginning. So I'm going to go back to my beginning. So I grew up in Savannah, Georgia, and I left there. And I went to college in the Northeast. So I sort of felt like I learned about myself as a Southerner by leaving the South and going to the North. And that's sort of how I kind of of like to learn. I grew up in the age of discount airfare, as I like to think about it. And then I went to Japan because that was the 80s. I'm older than you are. Uh, In fact, yesterday I had a birthday. So I went to Japan. I started writing letters home of the, you're not going to believe what happened to me variety. This was on crinkly airmail paper. That's how old I was. I was born in 1964. 
And when I got back to Georgia six months later, everybody said, I love your letters. I was like, great, have we met? And it turned out that my grandmother had Xeroxed them and passed them around and they went sort of viral in the old fashioned sense of the word. And I thought, well, I should write a book about this experience. Like nobody really knows what modern Japan is like. And so it doesn't happen this way, but I sold my first book uh, when I was in my early 20s. That was, and I wrote a book about Japan called Learning to Bow. And then I wrote a book about England called Looking for Class. And then I spent a year as a circus clown. And I wrote a book about that called Under the Big Top. And then I moved to Nashville and I wrote a book about country music. And this was my life. I would like enter worlds and write about them. And when I was in Nashville, I began to realize that I'm a writer now. I can't deny it. And so, and I should know more about the Bible because I write all those country music songs. And I realized I hadn't really read the Bible since I was a kid. So I took the Bible off my shelf and I put it by my bed and it sits there gathering dust for two years. And then I go to see an old friend in Jerusalem. And on my first day, my friend is kind of takes me on this tour and we're overlooking this promenade. And my friend says, over there is this controversial neighborhood down by Bethlehem. And over there is the rock where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac. And I was like, wait, what? Like, like that's where Abraham went to sacrifice. I'm like, wait a minute, that's a real place that you can touch and feel in this sort of crazy way I live my life. I thought, well, here's an idea. What if I travel along the route and read the Bible along the way. Now, nobody thought this was a good idea, right? Uh, it would be dangerous. There would be terrorism. There's nothing to see. But I did it anyway. And so I spend a year of my life going back and forth, climbing Mount Ararat, looking for Noah's Ark, crossing the Red Sea, tasting manna. And I was three continents, five countries, four war zones. And I wrote a book called Walking the Bible. And the minute it comes out, it like just goes on fire. Like it was on USA Today and New York Times, Jay Leno made a joke about it. I mean, it was just sort of everything happened at once. And so this book spends a year and a half on the bestseller list. I go back with a film crew and I make a television series for PBS. And so this becomes my life for a long time. I go back and forth and I ultimately do five books about the Bible and religion and contemporary life. And I write a book about five books of Moses. And then the second half of the Hebrew Bible, I write a book about Moses and his influence in American history. And in this course of this process, I get married and I have children. And so we go and I accompany my wife on this business trip to Rome and we go to the Vatican and I'm the genius who says, okay, day one, I have like six-year-olds at the time, like day one, jet lagged, we're going to go see some art, get some culture, like dad's interested in religion and spirituality. We're going (laughs) to, so we go and my feet hurt, why are there carpets hanging on the wall? Like this is not going well. And so we get to the Sistine Chapel and, you know, you're, all, you're not allowed to sit down. You get like six minutes and 22 seconds in there before they rush you out. You have to cover your shoulders. And then my like six-year-olds look up at the ceiling and I'm like, I'm going to blow your mind, girls. And then like there's God outreached with Adam. And as you said, one of my daughters goes like, well, where am I in that picture? Like, how come it's only God and Adam? And I was like, uh-oh, now what am I going to do, Right. And then my other daughter says, wait a minute, is that Eve under God's arm? And I didn't realize this. Like my mother was an art teacher. Like I thought I knew this story and I didn't realize that Eve is in that picture. And that's when I began to realize, okay, wait a minute. Like I am now surrounded. I've got a wife who works. I've got identical twin daughters. Like the the old rules of how men and women get along just no longer apply, but the new rules haven't been written. And I just realized in that moment that this story like 
we all have PTSD from this story. Like this story has been used to explain lots and kind of, it's funny because one of those daughters now, this was a number of years ago, one of those daughters now was a sophomore in high school and she wrote a story this very weekend on Puritans and how religion was important in the founding of America. Like that, so in 1620, like in 1820 or it was 1802 that Thomas Jefferson writes a letter about separation of church and state. But in 1620, there was no such thing and like the Adam and Eve story, like is this responsible for the subjugation of women and children? And she calls this paper, the daughters of Eve. And I'm like, okay, life is coming full circle. So anyway, I began to realize, well, maybe I don't have the story right. And then what happens is I then go on this journey, traveling around, exploring this, the, the, how this story has been frankly abused over the years. And then how modern feminists kind of reinterpreting it have found a completely different story that's much more inclusive inside the story. So that's the very long-winded answer of how that story is kind of part of my story. And I guess it's part of your story too. I love it. Yes, so much. Well, and I think that it's just so important to really get that message out there because even though your daughter learned that at six years old, you know, with you in the Vatican, I mean, I'm 38 and just pondering it for the first time. And I think it's a big part in looking at who we are and diving deeper into ourselves. So I'm really looking forward to reading that book, but you've got so much else that we need to cover today too. So thank you for being patient with me. Life Transitions. Tell us about your new book. So let's go back to that story I was telling, right? So that story about this kid from Savannah, Georgia, who discovers early on what he wants to do. And I did it for no money for a while. And then I had some success. As I mentioned, I got married. I had children. That is kind of another way of looking at that story. And another way of telling that story is that is the, the kind of traditional, conventional, linear life. And it's sort of the life that we all fantasize about, that we're going to have a fairy tale, that we're going to be the hero and our story is going to have a happy ending. And that was my life, really, until my early 40s, until a back-to-back-to-back set of disruptive experiences completely overturned that life. So first, I got cancer at 43 as a new dad. My girls were three at the time. So suddenly, I was the walking guy back from walking the Bible who might never walk again. Then I almost went bankrupt in the recession. My family owned some real estate that all went under. And then my dad, who has Parkinson's, got very depressed, a man who was never depressed a minute in his life, and tried to take his own life. Six times in 12 weeks, uh, he gets to the point that he no longer wants to live. And this was a kind of a horrifying crisis. I've subsequently come to call this kind of event a life quake, one of these moments, you know, and here we are in 2020 when... We're all going through a life quake when life just comes at you from all directions. But it's specifically what I did with my dad as we were struggling with medical and business matters and, you know, trying to help my mom who had to become a full-time caretaker, et cetera, was I'm the story guy. And so one Monday morning, I send my dad a question, tell me about the toys that you played with as a child. And then he answers that question. Like he thinks about it all week and dictates it to Siri and then spits out a letter. Wow, this was like the first thing that gave him some life. So we sent him another letter and then another. And this went on for what became years until this man who had never written anything longer than a memo backed into writing a 50,000 word autobiography. But what happened was when I would tell this story, kind of as I'm telling it now, everybody 
you know, if I were to turn to you and I would say, can you tell me a time in your life when you just got walloped by life, you would have a dozen such stories. And, you know, my wife has a headache, goes in the hospital, dies the next day. My daughter has an anxiety disorder. My boss is a crook. My brother has been diagnosed with a stage four, whatever it might be. And what everybody was saying to me in these conversations was, like, the life I'm living is not the life that I expected to be living. I'm living life out of order. And that's, and I called my wife one night and I said, you know, no one knows how to tell their life story anymore. And I've got to figure out how to help. And so what I did just to kind of hurry the story along is I set out on this journey, crisscrossing the country, collecting what became hundreds of stories of Americans of all ages, all walks of life, all 50 states, people who lost limbs, lost homes, changed careers, changed religions, got sober, got out of bad marriages. And in the end, I had a thousand hours of interviews and I spent a year coding this. And basically, the big idea that came out of this is that the linear life <laughs> that I have been living is dead. The idea that we're all going to have one job and one home and one relationship and one happiness, this is not how we live anymore. And that's been replaced by a nonlinear life that has many more ups and downs and twists and turns. And ultimately, what I realized was more transitions. And so I decided to write a book in which I use these stories to kind of talk about this rise of the nonlinear life and then give people the, the tools to navigate this growing number of transitions that we're all facing. And so I basically worked on that book, which is called Life is in the Transitions, for half a decade. And it arrived, lo and behold, in the middle of the pandemic when everyone's on a transition. And it just became people had sort of a visceral need. It was top 10 New York Times bestseller. And it's sort of helping people navigate the moment that we're all in now. That is just incredible. So there's a lot coming to me here, but let's go back to your dad. You know, there are so many men who, and, and there are women too, but people who go through life and they get to this point where maybe they hit this brick wall and they feel stuck, right? And you see it every day, at least I do with my clientele, where people have been nurses for 20 years or teachers for 25 years, and they don't feel like they can leave the career that they've been doing and switch tracks and make that transition. Is that leading to more depression and just the idea that we are not allowing ourselves to daydream about making a transition and changing tracks? Is that taking people down in and of itself? That's a very perceptive set of questions, and there's a lot in there, and let's unpack it a little bit. So to kind of take a step back, what I want to say is that what kind of unpacked this for me was realizing, and it's good that we started with Adam and Eve, because I didn't realize this, and I've written five books about the ancient world, is that every culture kind of has a way of looking at the world, and that impacts how they look at their life. So in the ancient world, they don't have linear time. So they think that life follows a cycle because they have an agricultural calendar to every season, turn, turn, turn. It's the Bible, actually, that introduces the idea of linear time. And if you go to the Middle Ages, they actually believe that life is a staircase up to middle age and you peak in middle age and then you go down. So vis-a-vis your clients, there's no new love at 40. There's no starting a new career at 50. There's no retiring at 60, moving and, and opening a and b or now an Airbnb. It's rigid up and then rigid down. And essentially, from the birth of science 200 years ago, 150 years ago, people believed that life was a linear arrow of progress, okay? And whether it was Freud who says 
there are stages of development or Erickson or uh, the five stages of grief, the hero's journey. These are all linear constructs. And this reaches its peak in the 70s. A woman named Gail Sheehy writes this book, Passages, that all of our mothers read that literally says everyone does the same thing in their 20s and their 30s, and then everyone has a midlife crisis, with air quotes, at 39 and a half. And that's the book that actually popularized the phrase. And it turns out that all of that is bunk. Like our lives are not defined by birthdays that end in zero, and they're no longer defined by this linear life. But many of us, kind of of a certain age, if you will, grew up with that expectation, okay? And as a result, we are haunted by this ghost of linearity, as I call it. And this is particularly true of, say, people 50 plus, like at the top of the Xers and the boomers. You're obviously a very early millennial. But if you go to people, say, 30 minus, they know intuitively that life is going to have 12.7 12.7 jobs and 11.4 moves. And, and if, if anything, this idea of nonlinearity, kind of Xers get it more than boomers and millennials more than Xers. And I think Gen Zers, as my kids, are going to get it more than millennials. But there is this, I don't know, expectation of linearity that I think that is what you're finding in a lot of your clients, right? Which is that they were led to believe that you're going to have one job. And by the way, that expectation was written when basically the only people in the workforce were, were men. So a, a number of things have happened. First of all, women would join the workforce, then have children. Some would go back to work right away, but many would step aside. And they found that this linear, the idea of a corporate ladder that you can only move up, incredibly limiting, as we see with you know sort of the ideas of Black Lives Matter and systemic racism. A lot of people never get onto the corporate ladder because it's just too far away and too contingent on on, on having access to elite education or uh, these other kinds of things. So a lot of people never got on that ladder. So the advantage, I think that to, to the core of your question, right, which is the pain that people feel, the anxiety, the stress, the depression, whatever it is. And we see that all over, right? The suicide rates are higher, um, you know, addiction rates are higher, all these kinds of things. And yes, it's a lot of men, particularly kind of the pale, stale males in their 50s, but it's also women too. The way I would frame that for you is that if you went back 100 years, let's just say we go back to 1900, most people, even most people in this country, the United States, people could be listening to us from wherever. But most people still had to live where their parents wanted them to live, believe what their parents wanted them to believe, do what their parents wanted them to do, marry who their parents wanted them to marry, have the sexual orientation that their parents wanted them to have. You go now 100, 120 years later, it's astonishing how quickly historically that has gone away. You can do what you want to do, believe what you want to believe. Half of Americans, for example, change faith in the course of their lives. Four in 10 of us are in an interfaith marriage. Believe what you want to believe, you know, love who you want to love. We now know you can change your body. That is an astonishing amount of change and a very narrow window of time. And the good news is we have the freedom to write our own story. 
The bad news is, is that many of us get writer's block writing that story because there's too many choices. And that, I think, is a lot of the cause of the anxiety. Am I making the right decision? Am I doing the right thing? Am I being true to myself? Am I following my passion? Am I doing what my parents want to do? Should I be making money to raise my children? Should I be not, you know, spending more time with my children and not working, right? Should I, do I have to work? Do I, am I, I'm a man, do I spend more time? All of these things create a crisis. And what happens is when you get into one of these life quakes, which we get into three to five times in, their, in our lives, that becomes a kind of meaning vacuum where the traditional structures and kind of building blocks that give us meaning are blown apart. Think of the pandemic and we have to piece them back together. That's what a life transition does is that life gets us stuck and the transition is the process of getting unstuck. Okay. So I want to take this back and maybe this relates to your dad. Maybe it doesn't. It certainly relates to people in my life right now where I'm watching them go through this. And I went through this myself, right? And I, I feel like I went through it early where I remember very vividly sitting in my corporate office, having a team, having the title, having the paycheck, and that little whisper within my heart saying, you know you want to be a life coach. You know mm. you don't want to be doing this. You know you want to be coaching other people and working one-on-one with people. And every time that voice would come up, I, I can recall my thoughts. I'm very aware of my thoughts. I would go, boom, nope. Yep, shut do it down. That. Yep, nope, I'm going to be in denial. Yep. I have everything I want. There's no need to go into that little fantasy of mine. Keep it where it is. So that led to what you're calling this life quake totally exploded my life. My message here in this podcast to everybody is we don't have to wait for it to get to that life quake, right? Like we don't have to wait for it to implode our lives. When we're not listening to these little whispers in our hearts, isn't it just compounding, 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 compounding until you get to that big cartoon TNT explosion? Do we have to wait for that explosion or can we just... How do we get to it earlier on? Because here's what I also see within my clients. They'll say, I don't know. You're right. There's so many options. I don't know. And what spirit and the angels always do is they come in and they say, it can't be without you. It can't be outside of you. It's within you. It's within your heart. It's what's been calling to you. And I think people don't want to believe that it's that easy, right? So here's what I hear in that question. So I interviewed 225 people. I did 1,000 hours of interviews. And I asked them about these moments. And so to take a half a step back and work my way toward your powerful question, what I found is that we go through three dozen what I call disruptors in the course of our lives. These are manageable changes. It could be something as small as an automobile accident or twisting your ankle, as big as getting married getting a new pet, starting a new job, getting a diagnosis, a bad, you know, a bad storm, whatever it might be. That's one every 12 to 18 months. That's more often than many people see a dentist. Most of these we get through relatively well because we're actually pretty good at adapting to change. But one in 10 of those becomes this life quake. And that is, I use the term life quake because it's higher on the Richter scale of consequences and it has aftershocks that last for years. And so what makes a disruptor a life quake? It could be timing. It could be magnitude. But a lot of the times it is what I have, I struggle. It's a hard thing for me to figure out what to call it, but I, they tend to clump. 
right? So just when you've got that voice in your head in your corporate office, you wreck your car, right? Just when you're ready to move, your mother-in-law needs cataract surgery and your daughter breaks her leg. So they tend to clump. And it turns out that there is a correlation. Like it could be when you were having that whisper, everything else was stable, or it could be maybe that there was some other disruptor in your life. And it's sort of like your immune system is weakened. You know what? (laughs) It's uh, the fire just burned the garage and I have to fix the garage. Well, maybe that's the sign. Maybe maybe that's the angel that you're talking about that says, you know what? I'm going to make my garage not for my car. It's where I'm going to see clients in my life coach thing, right? Or, or, or maybe you have a child and the child is about to enter kindergarten and you say, well, I want to kind of see the child when the child comes home in the afternoon and maybe I'm ready to try for another baby. And so now's the time to make that change because I can see my clients in the morning and then like, you know, be a hands-on parent in the afternoon. So they tend to clump. But to your question about who controls it, I looked 225 people in the eye and I asked them, pick a life quake in your life and was it voluntary or involuntary? Okay. So an involuntary life quake is, well, let me start with a voluntary. A voluntary life quake is you want to start a new venture. You move. Okay. You have a child. You get married. Okay. An involuntary, like I'm, I'm a parent of identical twins. Like that was a life quake when we had, I mean, it was a joyful life quake, but it was also a stressful, exhausting, affected finances, affected work, affected the relationship because no one's getting any sleep for, I don't know, three years or 15 years, whatever, however you want to count. <laughs> Others are involuntary. So involuntary life quake is you get laid off. Okay. You, uh, a natural disaster. A pandemic is an involuntary life quake. Right? Your child, your spouse cheats on you is an, invo- an involuntary life quake. of life quakes are involuntary. 47% are voluntary. This gets closer to the question. I'm about to hit your question and dead on in a second. So I looked at this. Again, I'm a boomer nominally. I was born in 64. I'm like, 47% of life quakes are voluntary. Like people make the, like, cool. Like we are embracing the opportunity of the nonlinear life. Like you walk away from your corporate job. I don't know. I'm just getting to know you. And I'm going to start this life coaching thing. And I don't know where you were in relationships or family or whatever. And that's embracing it. I look at that and I'm like, great. As it happens, I had a bunch of millennial coders kind of college kids, graduate students, young writers or journalists or computer scientists who were helping me add a team of 12 people. And they looked at this and like, they're in their 20s by and large. And they're like, whoa, 53% of life quakes are involuntary. Like I might get cancer, right? Or I might lose my legs or I might have. And so I think it really depends on how you look at it. We are now in the pandemic and a collective involuntary life quake. But that's deceiving because how you react to it and how she reacts to it and how he reacts to it are different. And this gets me to the answer to your question. The life quake can be voluntary or involuntary, but the life transition that grows out of it must be voluntary. You have to choose to lean in and take the steps that will get you from your corporate job to your life coach. That is a complicated, time-consuming process. And so you have to choose. And so everybody listening to us has gone through this collective involuntary life quake of the pandemic. 
somebody listening to us may be thinking my relationship is not where I want it to be and I either need to improve it or get out of it. Somebody else may be thinking I've been drinking too hard and maybe I started drinking even harder in the pandemic and I need to address my addiction. Somebody else may be saying, you know what, the job is already not fulfilling and I'm already working from home and like maybe now's the time to make that change. Somebody else may be saying, well, I get to work from home half my job even when the pandemic is over. What am I doing in this tiny apartment? Why do I move and get more space? Somebody else may be saying my kids need my attention and I I need to step away from work and spend more time and maybe make a lateral move and get off the corporate ladder because my children need it and I can come back to what serves myself later. This is what I call shape-shifting, which is sort of rebalancing your priorities. And the advantages of being in a nonlinear life is that the decision you make now doesn't necessarily have to last forever. I love that. Oh, that's amazing. Friends, just a little side note here. I am so excited to announce that we are launching three free live events coming up October 15th, October 22nd, and November 3rd. Now, friends, this is not about politics whatsoever, but those first two dates are on the nights of presidential debates, and that third event is the night of the election. Why are we having these live free events? Just to lift you up in prayer, to come together as a community, because remember, when we come together and direct our intent to raise the vibe within humanity, ourselves, our communities, our families, my goodness, the other side takes that energy and you can feel it so much more profoundly. So again, not about politics whatsoever, just about helping you keep your energy clear, help you lift your vibration, not just for yourself, but for everyone around you within our communities and the world. So I really hope that you will take part in these live events with me. If you want to be a part of this, please hop on over to my website and make sure we have your email address. Go to theangelmedium.com. That's theangelmedium.com. And where it says, want weekly angel messages for free, put in your name and email address. That way we can send you a free link to the event with a passcode you can use to get in. Friends, thank you for being Earth Angels here, for joining us at these events and really helping us raise, shift, and lift the vibration here on Earth. Now let's get back to the show. So what ended up happening with your dad? My dad, this process of storytelling went on with my dad for five years. When we started, he couldn't even move his fingers. He would literally think about his stories and write the essays. And this basically gave him a reason to live. And my dad is still living. It's been almost seven years to the day when we're having this conversation that that suicide spree started. He actually announced, as I mentioned, it was my birthday over the weekend and also his wife's birthday, my mom's birthday. And we had a like family Zoom because of course no one could get together when we're taping this. It's the middle Happy of- Happy uh, belated uh, birthday. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And so he has announced he's now finished the book. 
So, and we've spent years, he was also a collector. So it turned out he had love letters to my mom and like photos of him in the Navy and all of these things. So we have, we have got all this raw material and he's now declared himself done with this book. And so now we're going to start the process of, of turning it into a book and getting it, uh, getting it published. By the way, and I will say to anybody listening, I have, if you go to actually my website, brucefire.com, I should probably say that slower, brucefire.com. If you go there, I have a way that we can... Uh, just give for just a nominal sum, we will email you or a loved one a question every morning, like I did with my dad. And you can do this kind of storytelling project with a loved one because it's incredibly powerful. That's interesting. You know, I want to go a little deeper into this because I've been looking at this and I don't normally talk about this on the podcast because I believe like in marriage, you go through these just different Mm. ups and downs, right? And we're not in a down, but I was like, looking back at just our relationship throughout the pandemic and what drives me in my life is creation, right? Writing or creating new things and learning about new things. And um, my work just really so drives me. And for my husband, it's different. It's his family. He just loves family time so much. And it's interesting because I'm just wondering, and you know, maybe I'll cut this out, but I don't know. I have to ask you this question. Yeah, you can't cut it out. No, it's getting real. <laughs> now, now we're getting, it's getting good now. <laughs> if anyone's listening to us and she just cut that out, you know, you <laughs> email me and I'll tell you what she said. Well, I just wonder, you know, talk to us about marriage too and marriage transitions and how I really believe that you have to learn how to grow together and you have those marriage transitions over and over and you have those new aha moments like I just had. Oh my gosh, you know, I get my joy from this. My husband gets his joy from this. I have to make more room for him because my daughter and I are where he gets his joy. This is a lot of what these conversations were about. And, and what, 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 ha, what was so powerful about these life story interviews that I did is that kind of like this conversation is I would go in expecting it would be about X and it turned out to be about J, right? So I would hear, oh, you should talk to Julie, right? She started as a corporate, you know, corporate person and now she got a podcast on angels and that's an interesting life transition. And I'd be like 30 minutes in and I'm like getting to the good part where, where <laughs> she leaves her corporate job and then goes into her garage that had burned down and starts a podcast about angels. And then lo and behold, it turns out that Julie's marriage is much more interesting than Julie's career change. This happened. It's the power of storytelling, by the way. So that's, the, that's point number one. Point number two This gets back to some of the ideas that we've been sort of dancing around, but let's go deep, as you said. Good news, you and your husband and your daughter too, I don't know how old she is, but eventually she too, will get to make their own identity of meaning. The problem is there's just a lot of different options and it become overwhelming. Turns out there are three primary ways that we make meaning. I call these the ABCs of meaning. The A is agency. That's our work, our creativity, things that we make, that we do. It tends to be our work lives. It tends to be for the people like you and me who are, 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 you know, are creative and doers or creators. Like A, agency is the A of the ABCs of meaning. The B is belonging. And the B is relationships, family, friends, colleagues, neighbors, church or synagogue members, members of the garden club, people we meet in political rallies, whatever it is. That's B, that's belonging. And the C is a cause. 
that's a higher calling, something bigger than ourselves, a way to give back our purpose, uh, our beliefs, whatever they might be. Okay. So these are the three building blocks, the ABCs of meaning. And it turns out that each of us kind of prioritizes, kind of has a ranking. Okay. So I would be in this model an ABC because I'm a creator. I'm a writer. I've been doing this my whole life. My mother was an art teacher. Like I'm a, I'm an A first and I'm incredibly family oriented. I'm a very involved dad. I wrote a column in the New York Times about families for a decade. I wrote a book called The Secrets of Happy Families when I got cancer. I wrote a book called Council of Dads that became the NBC series that some people listening might have seen. So I'm a very belonged cause. Yeah, I'm less. That's important. My wife is a CAB. So she started an organization that works with entrepreneurs around the world. She's The most important people in her life are the entrepreneurs that she helps in 50 countries around the world. Like the rest of us, she tolerates. So she's a C and then agency. She's a builder, right? She's an entrepreneur herself. She's, she runs, and then relationships, you know, at the end of the night, she's giving and giving and giving like, and she wants to go like work out and watch and watch uh, junk reality TV. Okay. She has no interest in being with me. I'm like, I've been by myself all day. I have a long list. So it, so <laughs> let's, okay. This so is let's, exactly like us. This okay. is why spirit said me ask this question. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So what, so give me your ABC, rank your ABCs and then rank your husband's ABCs. My husband's is B A C. Mine okay. is C A B. Okay, fine. So by the way, I don't know if I'm going to give you a theory of marriage, but I'll give you a theory of marriage in one sentence. We're attracted to people with a different ordering. Totally. Because it's important, right? And because it's it's important if you want to go, you know, if my wife wants to go work out and, and uh, not talk to anybody and watch reality TV, someone's got to put the kids to bed. That's me. I mean, my kids are 15 and my wife still can't put them to bed. She just yeah. doesn't, and a lot least of which because she never learned the, the number one rule of bedtime, which is that anything a child says after bedtime is a lie. It's a straight <laughs> ploy to get more time awake and just ignore it. She's like, oh, really? You want to repack your backpack and it's 20 minutes past bedtime? Let's go do that. I'm like, no, forget it. It's your responsibility. We'll do it in the morning. And if you go, like, you're going to bed. Like, so she can't do bedtime, but she doesn't want to anyway. She's tired of people. Like, I'm by myself all day. I'm like ready to do bedtime because... It's my, it's my beam. But here's the thing, because I mentioned this earlier. Now we're going to get to talk about it. What happens in a life quake is that our priority shifts. So that what happens, and, and, and you, I thought, you mentioned this earlier, and I wanted to say it earlier, but now we get to do it, okay? So what happens in a life quake is that it's a, what I say earlier, it's a meaning vacuum. Like the traditional balance between your CAB or ABC or whatever it is, right? The A is your me story. The B is your we story and the C is your the story, right? So we don't have just one story. We have multiple stories and your me, we, and the story, your ABCs. What happens in a life quake is that's blown to smithereens, right? We're now working from home, which means we're doing our agency in the middle of our B and like, how is that working out? Not all that well. So what happens is, is that people begin to shape shift. So for example, maybe you've been working very hard. Okay. And then you get laid off or you lose your job or you get furloughed because of the pandemic and you spend more time with your family. Maybe you've been caring for an aging relative, or maybe you've been a stay at home mom and then you become an empty nester or your love, your aging parent dies. And you say, you know what? I want to do something for myself now. Like I'm tired of giving back. 
Or maybe you're a cause-oriented person and you're leading a movement, right? Or you're running a nonprofit or you're, you know, you're a social worker, whatever, and you just say, enough of that. I need to be with my own family for a while. And I need so you shape shift. And the way to think about this is that think of Lady Justice, right? With the two scales, but think of Lady Justice as having three scales. And every scale, that's a, each scale is the A, the B, or the C. And there's kind of pebbles in every one. And so you're like, you know what? I'm a little too agency oriented. I need to move a pebble around. And so we're constantly like rebalancing. And so a lot of what's happened in the pandemic is that the balance has been thrown off because we're spending too much time with each other, right? Or not enough time with our extended family whom we can't see, or we're cause oriented, right? And we want to be marching in a parade or, you know, uh, going to Africa and, and, and doing a mission to help people. And we can't. So we're, we're kind of, everything is being kind of thrown to the wind right now. And that's, I think, a lot of the cause of the anxiety that we have. It's like everything is fluid. And so therefore nobody knows exactly where their pebbles go on these scales. Ooh, so how do like how does that energy sort itself out, or are, is that what we're in the midst of right now? Well, the answer to that is a life transition, which we haven't. I guess we'll now talk about. <laughs> so the answer is, you're going through this commotion, and you say, "I'm going to focus on X." Okay, I'm going to remake my career. I'm going to be a better parent. I'm going to have another child. I'm going to get sober. I'm going to move. Then you've decided this is the life transition. Now what? Okay, and this. Half of my book is about this. Now what do we do? And so a couple of things about this. So it turns out that there's a kind of structure to these life transitions. There are three phases, as I call them. There's the long goodbye, where you kind of mourn the past that's not coming back. There's this messy middle where you shed certain habits and then you create new ones. That's the creativity you mentioned earlier. And then there's this new beginning where you launch your new self. Okay? And so it turns out that all of us are bad at one of these phases and good at one of these phases, okay? And I'm just going to go flat out and go out on a limb, and I'm going to say you're, you're good at the messy middle because mm-hmm. you like creating new things, and you're bad at the long goodbye, which is why you stayed in that corporate job longer than you wanted because like, you're a pleaser like, or you didn't want to yeah. do it or you were afraid. So everybody's good. And, and by the way, I'm all good with this. Like pick the phase you're, you're best at and start there because it's build momentum. But if you're going to go right to creating something new, you still have to mourn the past and you still have to confront the fact that there's a lot of emotion involved in going on the life transition. And then, by the way, in the book, you know, in Life is in the Transitions, I walk you through the process of figuring out which one you're good at and bad at so that you, you can be more successful. So, for example, the biggest, let me just ask you, what's the biggest emotion when you made that leap from being corporate, whatever you are, to self-employed? When you, what was the biggest emotion that you struggled with? Well, long story short, one sentence, I, you're right. It all compounded at that time. I had a boss who, you know, I was a people pleaser my whole life, always got A pluses, always got A pluses at work for my boss and nothing I did was good enough. So I worked more and more and more and more till I was working 80 hours a week, not having any time whatsoever with my family led to a mental breakdown. And that's where I figured out through a counselor who had to hit me over the head with it time after time after time. Is it really a good idea to go back to this place that, that drove you to a place of, of thinking about ending your life, you know, essentially? Well, thank you for sharing. Good yeah. for you. People pleasers are bad at the long goodbye. 
because they don't want to disappoint and they're worried about this. I'm not in the least bit surprised that it was a pileup because that's exactly what you described. And I, I can't tell you the dozens and dozens of people I talked to who had suicide ideation and got depressed or breakdowns of some kind, whether they were getting over sobriety or in your case, workaholism, not alcoholism or yeah. you know, trying to please ism or whatever, whatever isms are. And so the number, you know, to kind of go back to that question I was saying before, the top three emotions that people struggle with in these moments are fear. How can I live without this job? You know, how can I live without the money? How can I live without my legs? How can I live without my loved one who's not there? How can I live without a drink if that's what I need? Number two is sadness. I miss the person. I miss the status. I miss, right, being with that person. I miss having my legs until I lost them in an accident in the dunes north of Grand Rapids, Michigan, and someone in my story. Um, I missed, you know, having my face before it was shot off by the Taliban. Another one story that I did. And the, th- and the third is shame. And my guess is you probably had some of that shame too. And the shame is I'm ashamed that I worked too hard and I was expecting this boss to please me as opposed to pleasing myself. I'm ashamed of what I did when I was drunk. I'm ashamed that I have a child with special needs or I'm, a child, I'm ashamed I have a child with an addiction. And when I go to the supermarket, I wear dark glasses and a hat because I don't want people to recognize me as one story I, I heard uh, contained. So we have these emotions and then, but you have, and so I ask people how they move beyond it. And, and the kind of one of my favorite chapters in the book is that it's called market. And it's about people either writing their feelings down, kind of talking about them openly as you've obviously learned to do, but 80, eight, zero percent of people use rituals as a way to get beyond these emotions. They hold seances, they go to sweat lodges, they get tattoos, they, they plant trees. I talked to a woman, Lisa Ray Rosenberg in Southern California, who had an awful year. She was a bone marrow donor to her brother. She had a falling out with her mother. She went on 52 first dates. She actually made a spreadsheet of everything she wore on the dates because she only went on seven second dates and she didn't want to wear the same thing on the first date as she wore on the second date. And she's like, no, this isn't working. And her biggest fear was heights. She jumped out of an airplane. And because that was her ritualistic saying of, I got to put the old behind me. A year later, she was married with a child. So people use these rituals as sort of gestures to say to themselves and to others, I'm going through a difficult time. I don't want to contain it. I want to kind of have it out there as a way of signifying that I'm putting the past behind me and I'm now ready for whatever comes next. So is that how you move through that long goodbye at the end too? Well, yes, it is how you move the long goodbye, but I want to be clear that the first hundred years people talked about kind of these the parts of a life transition, they said you have to do it in order. Like first you have to say goodbye, then the messy middle, these are my terms, but you know, then you have to go that's not how it works. People, it's, it's a nonlinear process. So, and as I said, you, in your case, I wouldn't be surprised if it, it sounds like you went right to the messy middle, like you had this very difficult period. Maybe you went ahead and said, I'm going to start this coaching thing and you started classes or your podcast, but then you had to go back and actually kind of expunge the old you. You had to say goodbye and mourn that thing. And then maybe you were already at the new beginning where you already were telling friends that you're doing this. So the point is we do these in a nonlinear way. It's kind of a, and and a good example of this would be, you know, divorce, right? Or like imagine if you were married and had a child and you got divorced, which is, you know, 
probably half of Americans at this point, then you might have said goodbye to the old marriage. You might even be dating again. Some people, by the way, have an affair. So they're starting a new before they're saying goodbye to the old. But if you're still parenting with that child, you're always in the old. So, so there's a good example that you could be in different phases at the same time. You may be getting married to your new partner, divorced from your old partner, but still co-parenting a child or children from the old one. And that contains, so you're, you're in all three phases at once, right? And a, and a good example of that is people who change transition genders, right? Where they're literally in a messy middle where they're taking hormones or, you know, having surgeries or whatever. And you can see that the process is kind of messy, but there are clear tools. And I think that one of the reasons this kind of book is resonating with people. It's these are actual concrete things you can do to make it go better. Oh, I love that. So you're getting into angels, you said at the very beginning of of the call. So talk to us about what you've been learning about angels. If there's any discoveries you've made that just kind of like shocked you or, or just new information you stumbled upon, because you've got access to a lot of great information out there. So angels, a couple of thoughts about angels. Since we've been talking about life stories, I want to talk about what we might call the the, the angel of connection, mm. right? The, the incredible, powerful thing. And, I, and I'll tell a story. It's at the very end of my book. And I would travel around and do these conversations. And I was doing one in my, my, my in-law's house. I live in Brooklyn and they live in Brookline, Massachusetts, up in, actually they live in Newton, which is next to Brookline, Massachusetts. So I was up there and this guy came to see me and he I met him because he had read Walking the Bible and he sent me an email on my website that there was a typo on my website. And I thought, okay, there's somebody who pays attention. And I said, I don't know about you, but come tell me your life story. So he drives to see me and he tells me the most wrenching story. I talked about pileups. This was about a 10-car pileup. He built a church that failed. His wife had breast cancer. He had three children, and each one of them had a different problem. His brother moved nearby to help him, and his wife had to get her insides rebuilt. And then his brother shows up dead. His church fails. I mean, it was like a 10-car pileup. And it was an incredibly powerful few hours we spent together. And as we were leaving, we gave each other a hug, and we said goodbye. And just then, my mother-in-law walks in. And this man, John, is a very, shall we say, handsome man. His father was an American serviceman who married a, a North Korean during the, during the Korean War. And he's a, he's a very handsome guy. And he leaves and my mother-in-law says, who is that? Like she had a crush on him. And I, and I told her this whole story and she just like slumped against the wall. And she was like, that stranger drives an hour and a half and tells you that story. And at the end gives you a hug. And I basically like, that's the power of a story. Like that's the angel to me that a story can take two people who don't have a relation chip and give them a relationship for life. I mean, that's to me, the angel of healing, if you will, the healing power of stories. And I saw that over and over again. And in a lot of ways, life is in the transitions is really a, a love story to the angel of healing. And in a lot of ways of self-healing about using your own story. You think back to my dad of healing, whatever, whatever life quake that we're in. What got me, and so I always kind of partly live with angels. What got me specifically thinking about angels in 2020 was I live in Brooklyn. And when the pandemic first hit, this was the worst place on the planet. And I would sit late at night and literally count uh, count the sirens wow. and think that that siren was someone's 
someone being taken to a hospital and some life being interrupted and some life story that might be cut short. And it reminded me of 9-11 when I would again sit in my home and listen to the sirens go by as they were clearing the rubble uh, away from ground zero. And what I realized that connected those two points was that some people succumb to the darkness at a moment like that. And some people try to turn that darkness into light. And that the first instinct was our evil instinct. And the second, to quote Abraham Lincoln, uh, is our better angels. And it was around that time that people started going outdoors at seven o'clock every night and, climbing and, and applauding for the, for the first responders and the healthcare workers. And I realized that at every moment of pain, whether it was the Garden of Eden or Abraham or Moses or Jesus or Paul or any other religion, like at that moment, angels appear. And I just began to feel that there were angels among us in 2020 and they were working their mission and they were performing their miracles. And so I literally spent three months kind of reading the history of angels and trying to understand like why they show up at certain times. Who are they? What role do they play in our lives for some creative project? I mean, as it turns out, I've actually been kind of creating a television show about this, that we've got some people- About angels? About angels. We have a buyer, so we'll see. It's a little early in the process, but uh, so I've actually been spending- months now working on a TV show about, uh, about the angels among us, kind of inspired by how angels turned up in this dark year of 2020 and uh, began spreading their goodness. That's amazing. That is amazing. Two things. You know, I think you could just answer yes or no, but when it comes to that man that you were talking about that had just one thing after another, after another, after another. And I know that you talked about voluntary and involuntary life quakes. There are people within the spiritual community who say, you know, that everything that happens to us, we create and we manifest in our own lives. I don't believe that to be true. Do you? No. Yeah. I mean, I I don't believe that. um, (laughs) I mean, in the spiritual community, I spent 20 years, I've written five New York Times bestsellers about religion. I have been to hundreds, if not thousands of churches and synagogues, and I have done, you know, work with interfaith relations and I've met, you know, gone into war zones and trying to find goodness in the world. And I end up with a nine inch tumor in my left femur. Like, I I don't think that that was correlative to my life, you know, to, to the work that I did and that I brought that on myself by whatever. I had a genetic predisposition to, to have an osteogenic sarcoma in my left femur. And I do think that that experience helped me deal with it in a way and helped me manifest, to use your language, this council of dads, and then to share that story. And then it became a network television show and touched tens of millions of people around the world. So I feel like how I responded to that life quake, how I responded to that illness, how I responded to that pain, I think answers your question in the affirmative. But I don't think that the underlying, uh, I don't think that I made that cancer and that that cancer, I don't believe that that thing that the illness we get is somehow spiritually connected to something flawed in us. I don't believe that. I do believe how you respond to is a reflection of that. I mean, a good example of that is that guy, John Murray, where that story ends. His church failed that he started, or he planted a church, to use the spiritual language. And then he 
he needed a job and he went to apply for a youth a, a youth missionary position at a church outside of Boston and he went in to that church and he said I can't lie. My life is so difficult right now. And he went through this catalog of pain and he said, you know, if you want someone to talk on the sunny side of life to your troubled youth, I am not your person. I cannot change my story. And you know what happened? They hired him because they said, no, we want you to tell that story. We want you to talk about your pain. We want you to talk about your difficulty and how you overcame it. We want you, in the words of my book now, to talk about your life quake. So I don't think you can manifest what happens to you, but I do think that you can control how you respond to it. Amazing. Bruce, I am going to be reading all of these books. I hope that when you come out with your new angel book, you will come back on the show or when you start the show, I would love you to come back on. Um, We are going to put it in the show notes, but please tell everybody where they can find your new book, Life Transitions. So I'm Bruce Feiler. That's F-E-I-L-E-R. The new book is called Life is in the Transitions, Mastering Change at Any Age. Uh, Obviously, you can find it on Amazon, your favorite local bookseller, uh, any bookstore. It's top 10 New York Times bestseller. You can find me on Facebook, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever, Twitter, any of your social media. And if you have a question or a great life story, I'm going to start a new process of collecting a new life story soon. And I'd love to hear from people directly. And and I think I want to call you, Julie, and ask you to tell me your life story. Oh, I would love it. But what I really want to say to everybody is whatever you're dealing with right now, I was there or I've met people who were far worse. And if you come on this journey with me, you're going to find hope for sure, but really you're going to find practical things that you can do tonight, tomorrow, next week, the week after, so that whatever life transition you're in, we can make it go a little bit better and a lot more effectively. We'll get through this together, everybody. I love it. I love it. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you for taking the time to be here. My pleasure. See you down the road. Friends, if you'd like to hear from your angels and loved ones on the other side, book a one-on-one session via phone, FaceTime, or Zoom. You can also work with me one-on-one when you register to take the Angel Reiki School online to develop and use your own unique spiritual gifts. If you're just looking to be able to connect with your own personal angels, the Angel Communication online course will teach you how to hear, feel, and connect with your personal angels more clearly. Friends, if you get benefit from this podcast, please subscribe, rate us five stars, and ask a friend to listen. Don't forget to look in the show notes to see the winner of this month's free drawing. You're entered into the drawing when you write a five-star positive review and email it over to us so that we know how to contact you when you win. Now, if you have time, I want you to pause and do some energy work with me for a moment to lighten, clear, and reset your own energy. To start, I want you to take two deep breaths. Deep breath in. Deep breath out. Deep breath in. Deep breath out. Friends, as I walk you through this, I want you to use your imagination as an energy tool. Friends, your imagination isn't something that's not real. Your imagination is what every human being uses to create physical reality. 
How does a painter know what to paint? How does a sculptor know what to sculpt? How does a writer know what to write? They see it all within their mind, within the imagination, before it flows through them and is created within physical reality. Friends, I want you to start by seeing yourself surrounded by thousands of angels. These are all angels that work directly for God and they circle around you. They have this light, airy, warm, yummy presence to them. And my friends, they are simply pure love and they radiate their love from their being to yours. I want you to take a moment to just breathe deeply in and out as you see and feel the presence of all of these angels surrounding you, sending their love and light energy to you. Friends, next, I want you to see yourself surrounded by your loved ones on the other side. Your angels haven't gone anywhere. They're still right there, but now steps in your loved ones on the other side. Greet them. Welcome them. Take a moment within your imagination to give them the biggest hug and kiss. Friends, as we do this healing work together, I want you to see that every single being that is surrounding you is just surrounding you because they are connected to God and they want to help you as a soul here on earth to lift your energy, to make it lighter, to take any heaviness out of your aura, chakras, and body. In order for them to help you with this, what I want you to do is voice to them. See yourself in your imagination telling your angels, your loved ones on the other side, God energy of course is there too. Tell them what you are afraid of. I want you to be specific and explain your fears to them now.
Now, friends, I want you to see your loved ones and angels on the other side comforting you, holding you, wiping away your tears. I want you to see them telling you that you're going to be okay. Your family is going to be okay. I want you to see them showing you in their way from the other side that they are there helping you every step of the way and that they will never, ever leave your side. Friends, I want you to see or feel God energy, this pure, white, radiant light pouring down from above over you. And as you feel this pure love and light, this gentle waterfall just pouring over your head, filling your body, filling your auric field to the outside of you, filling every inch of your being around you. I want you to feel that as this light energy comes in, the highest vibration that is as it gently pours into your being, I want you to feel how all the heaviness within you just releases. With the snap of your finger, God takes every ounce of heavy, low vibrational energy within you. And with that snap of the finger, God turns all of it into the highest vibration, love, light energy. Friends, I want you to imagine within your imagination, your DNA strand. Now, the way that spirit shows me the DNA and what it looks like is if you could imagine that double helix and that within that double helix are millions or billions of doors and windows. And those doors and windows open and close. And as they do, some serve your highest health and good some do not. What I want you to do is say this prayer with me. My friends, this energy work does not have to take a lot of time. You're going to hear me say, use the snap of your fingers because within that snap of the fingers, your intention shifts the energy within your body. So you can say it, but please believe it. Know like you know like you know within your heart that you are changing the energy, the frequency within you to be pure, complete health. So say this little prayer with me now. God, please close all the doors and windows to my DNA that don't serve my highest health. With a snap of your fingers, see those doors and windows close. And God, please open all the doors and windows to my DNA that do serve my highest health. See those doors and windows open with a snap of your fingers. What I want you to do now is see yourself healthier than ever come September of this year. Daydream, visualize about what that health looks like and feels like to you within your body come September of this year. Take a moment to do this work right now and I'll come back to you with my voice in one minute.
friends, I want you to believe like you believe like you believe that you, your family, your friends, you are protected. You are safe. You are secure. Your angels are looking out for you. God is looking out for you. Your loved ones are looking out for you. See yourself as healthier than ever come September of this year. Now I want you to pray with me for a moment for everyone else. God, please protect our nurses, doctors, and all healthcare professionals around the world. God, may you give each of them strength and protect them. God, please also protect all people who work in grocery stores, food service, or delivery. God, may you give each of them the strength and protection that they need. For all people who are suffering from COVID-19 themselves, God, may you take care of them and heal all who are able to be healed. Surround them with your divine protection. Surround them with angels and help every cell within their body to become completely 100% healthy again. God, for every person who has lost a job or had their income reduced, please clearly show them the path to healing, safety, security. Whisper to them in their hearts the direction that you would have them go. God, for every child on this planet, please help them to receive the attention, love, nurturing, and care that they so desperately need. God, please surround them with angels and allow them to feel the divine presence of your love and warmth. For those filled with hatred, God, we ask you to transmute that hate within their hearts into love energy, and we ask you to open up their hearts to make shifts and positive changes to help them raise their vibration. And everyone who is helping with the COVID-19 effort or response in some way, God, please be with each person who needs your strength. Clearly guide them and protect them with whatever they need at this time. Friends, finally, I want you to visualize Thanksgiving of this year. I want you to take a moment of silence to experience this daydream within your mind. See every single family member and friend and loved one there at the dinner table. See them happy, healthy. Feel the gratitude of this Thanksgiving beyond any other Thanksgiving in the past. Gratitude for being all together. Gratitude for all being healthy. Gratitude for the lessons learned. Gratitude for the relationships that grew deeper and the love that is between you all. Again, my friends, see your spirit team on the other side telling you that you are going to be okay. See them helping you. My friends, God loves you. Your spirit team loves you. I love you. Open up your heart like French doors to all of the unexpected blessings that they're trying to bring into your life right now. May you go forth with your day feeling lighter, and living in the high vibration that is God. Go forth in your day, surrounded by angels and your spirit team on the other side protecting you. Allow yourself to just be. Allow yourself to live in the high vibrational frequency that is God and carry it with you throughout your day. Friends, I have to have a disclaimer at the end. This podcast is to educate, inspire, and entertain you on your personal journey towards health and happiness. 
It is not intended to replace care best provided by qualified professionals, and it is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.